Hey everybody, welcome to the Extra Point. I am Raven X, alongside me as always, Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka the fan of the 9-1 Memphis Grizzlies in the last 10 games without John Morant. How you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, I think I'm really excited about the Grizzlies and what they've been doing. Uh, supposedly, I might be getting tickets to the game against the Lakers the end of this month, so I'm really excited. You know what? And I wouldn't be surprised if you got if you did get tickets and you saw a victory. But we shall see how it all plays out. We got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we have to talk about the termination of Urban Meyer after less than a year as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. With regards to the NBA, we are going to talk the latest setback in the recovery of Zion Williamson and what the New Orleans Pelicans should do about it. And then we're going to close out um, our basketball discussion talking about Steph Curry after breaking the record for most three-pointers made in a career. Is it time to officially anoint him as the greatest NBA shooter of all time? But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theXReport.net. I repeat, theXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow XReport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled the X Report. So to kick things off, let's do our college football player spotlight. And we're going to show some love to the big boys up front, specifically offensive linemen. Um, Redshirt sophomore offensive tackle Ekum Ekwunu, I hope that's how you pronounce it, out of North Carolina State has been an immovable object, standing at 6'4", 320. He has been one of the best offensive linemen in the nation and is currently projected to be, at worst, a top 10 pick. Ethan, there are plenty of teams that need help on the O-line. What team should be giving him a look? Um, I would say the Seattle Seahawks. Um, even though, yes, they're in the midst of the whole concept of Russell potentially leaving and things of that nature. Who's to say maybe they're able to convince him to not leave and they draft an old lineman because and kind of help fortify the offensive line. Because ever since Russell's been drafted outside of maybe the first one to two years of his career, he's been hit a ton in Seattle has really they haven't really put any capital into improving their O line. And when Seattle was at their best, when they won the Super Bowl, they had a strong offensive line and a strong run game. And who's to say that they can't rebuild that formula? Because, I mean, they have a good running back in Chris Carson. Yes, he's, he's an often injured player, but when he's on the field, he's a very productive player. And in my opinion, when Russell is at his best, He's a top five quarterback, so why not try to add some depth to that O-line and fix it so you can potentially keep Russ happy and potentially set yourself up to maybe make a run in these upcoming years. I feel you on that. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with the New York Giants. As of right now, um, after their trade with – Chicago? Honestly, I got to relook at it. But as of right now, they have two for top ten picks um, due to trades that they've made, which can't really be mad at. Even though I'm still banging the drum that they need to move on from Daniel Jones, regardless of what they do at quarterback, it's clear that they have to have some protection along that front line. Their offensive line has been terrible for a very long time, and it's about time that they finally put in the resources to do it, get those real hog mollies up front to really help facilitate change. But right, speaking of change, let's go ahead and look back at week 14 because it definitely played a big role in the playoff picture. 
fixture. Starting off with Thursday night, the Minnesota Vikings defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers 36-28. to um, the Baltimore Ravens were unable to fulfill the comeback against the Cleveland Browns, 24-22. Seahawks beat Texans, 33-13. Uh, Broncos honored Demarius Thomas with a 38-10 win over the Detroit Lions. Uh, Dallas Cowboys fulfilled their guarantee against Washington, 27-20. Uh, Chiefs embarrassed the Raiders, 48-9. Titans shut out the Jags, 20-0. Uh, Saints beat Jets, 30-9. Falcons defeat the Panthers, 29-21. Chargers embarrassed the Giants, 37-21. 49ers win an overtime shootout against the Bengals, 26-23. Tom Brady makes history and the complete gets the most completions in NFL history against the Bills in their 33-27 overtime victory. Aaron Rodgers proves he still owns the Bears, beating them 45-30 to 30, Thursday, 30 on uh, Sunday Night Football. Monday Night Football, Rams split the series, the season series against the Cardinals, 30-23. to 23. Um, Both Ethan and I went 9-4, and four, so not the worst week for predictions. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are, I think, the I think Pittsburgh is in for a major real their run defense is atrocious and they obviously they have, I'm not gonna say character but they have some continuity issues because I think that first down celebration by Chase Claypool cost them the game in my opinion I might be wrong but I think some stuff in Pittsburgh is gonna have to get looked at and revisited. Um, George Kittle is back to doing George Kittle things. I think a lot of times it's hard to remember how great of a player he is because he's such an injury-prone player. But that man been balling. And number one, Father Time is apparently undefeated when it comes to one Thomas Brady. And I personally can't stand it, but, you know, he's he's an all-time great. Yeah, that he is. All right, as always, if you want to check out my takeaways, just visit thexreport.net. I give takeaways from every game for every team, all that good stuff. Here are some injury news. Luck, on the one hand, it's not that many injuries. On the other hand, they are pretty big ones. Starting off with Lions losing tight end TJ Hawkinson. Um, he had surgery on his thumb, and that is effectively going to end his season. Rookie wide receiver for the Jets, Elijah Moore, after leading the league um, and receiving touchdowns in the past I think it was three to four weeks. He's going to be out for the foreseeable future, possibly the whole year with a quad injury and was placed on IR. And then DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver for the Cardinals, is shut down for the rest of the year with a leg injury. Cardinals hope to have him back 100% by the time of the playoffs. Do you think this is a good move by Arizona? Um, I think it is something because you – when you get to this point of the um, when it gets to this point of the season and heading into the playoffs, you want the big, you want your team to be at its healthiest. So why not, you know, potentially jeopardize maybe losing a, another game or two here? Because I still feel like regardless if they lose a game or two, they can still make the playoffs. And I mean, I think a big portion of it also is like you still have Kyler Murray. You still have James Conner. You still have a good run game. You still have a good defense. So they could very well, they're very well capable of still winning games without DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. I think it's because you just, like, you have him back healthy at the time when you really need him the most. Yeah. And then I agree with you, especially because they've already locked down a playoff spot. 
it's no secret that they are going to be in the playoffs. It's just a matter of what seed. And, I mean, looking at the rest of their schedule, it is pretty favorable. This upcoming week they have the Lions, which is a game that they should be able to win. The Colts will probably be a bit of a tough one, but that's manageable. Um, they also still have to face the Cowboys, which could be a shootout, and then they close out the year against Seattle. So there are games that are, you know, possible. There are games that they can still win without him. But, yeah, I think – it will definitely be a change. I think the offense may not be as explosive as we had gotten used to, but I do think they have the pieces in place, such as Christian Kirk is still there. He's had been really good. A.J. Green, who just came off through a great game against the Rams. I think that they have the pieces to be able to make this blow not as bad as it may seem. But all right, before we go ahead and move on uh, to this week's news, let's talk the players we were most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week. Ethan, starting with you, which player were you most impressed by this past week? Um, for me, I'm going to bring up the name again, one, George Kittle. He had 13 catches, 151 rest, receiving yards, and a touchdown. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, since he's come back from injury, he's had the most receiving yards by anyone in the NFL over the span since he got back from injury. And I'm a George Kittle guy. Like, he... He's a wrestling fan. He talks trash. He has that like semi-Canadian accent, even though I don't think he's from Canada. Mm-hmm. It seems like to be. He kind of seems like the new Grunk, in a sense, which is hard because Grunk is still in the NFL. But he just seems like the exciting, fun-loving guy that you just can't help but be a fan of. So I got to go with George Kittle. I feel you on that. I mean, it would be easy to lead the league because he had 151 this week, 180-something the week before. So it would not shock me if all, at all if he was leading the league in that category as of right now. Um, but for me, I'm actually going to go with his teammate. I'm going to say Brandon Ayuk. Um, this has been a rough sophomore year for Brandon Ayuk. But over these last few years, we've started to see – I mean, not years, but last few weeks, we're starting to see him kind of get back into the mold. And he did that against the Bengals. I mean, scored the game, won the touchdown. Of course, the defense was so focused on um, George Kittle, they didn't have much time to focus on anything else. But this was definitely a really big performance for Ayuk, especially because it's not like Debo Samuel was heavily targeted in the receiving game. All right, who are you most disappointed by? We, we might have the same – person and or unit? Um, maybe, but I doubt it. For me, I was most disappointed by the Cardinals offensive line. Yes, I understand that Aaron Donald is a generational talent, but y'all gave up three sacks to this man, and I think he forced a fumble. And I feel like that played a huge part in the reason why they lost their game. And, like, Kyle DeMere is a very talented quarterback, but you have to give him some type of protection in order to win games. All right. We did not have the same one. I'm going to say the Steelers' defense was the biggest disappointment. I mean, for one thing, you allowed 242 rushing yards. I can't think of a time – actually, there. I can't say in history there ever has been a time that a Steelers defense has allowed that many points. I mean, not points, but rushing yards. And then on top of that, most of them came from Dalvin Cook, who's still not 100% after suffering that shoulder injury. And yet, you watch the game, there were so many times when there were just wide open holes for him to run through. And it got to the point where it was ridiculous because, truthfully, if they were able to slow down the run game at least a little bit, they could have won that game because Justin Jefferson was getting his play 
plays early, but the secondary made some nice adjustment adjustments to kind of slow that down. But unfortunately, they could do nothing to stop the run. And as someone who's watched the Steelers defense for a very long time and seen them up close and personal, I was shocked that this was the play that they put out on the field. But all right, who's your rookie of the week? Jamal Chase. Boy. Understandable. That's a bad man. That's a bad dude. And, again, he's a delight to have on the fantasy team. That's all I got to say. I feel you on that. I'm, I almost went Jamar Chase, but I'm going to ch- change gears and I'm going to show some love to Justin Fields. Um, Justin Fields, I mean, through the first half – of that um, Packers game, it really looked like the Bears had a chance. I mean, yes, he had a couple of picks, but overall he had a very strong game, was the best quarterback I'd seen go up against the Packers in a while wearing the Bears uniform. And I think that we're starting to see more and more Justin Fields is starting to get comfortable in his role. So I would I would throw him a ball and i say he was my rookie of the week. Even though Jamar did go off, there were quite a few good rookie performances, but I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, Justin Fields. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. We mentioned at the top of the show, Urban Meyer last night was fired, which is funny to me because he got fired in the middle of the night like nobody would recognize that the Jags had fired him. Um, he After a week full of BS from arguing with his assistant coaches, benching top players, and probably my favorite story of, um, of the recent – uh, turmoil. So this comes from former Jags kicker uh, Josh Lambeau, who said, told a story of his time with Urban Meyer and said, "I'm a I'm in a lunge position, leg forward, right leg back." Lambeau said, "Urban Meyer, while I'm in that stretch position, comes up to me and says, "Hey, dipshit, make your fucking kicks," and kicks me in the leg. It certainly wasn't as hard as he could have done it, but it certainly wasn't a love tap, Lambeau said. Truthfully, I'd register it as a 5 out of 10, which in the workplace, I don't care if it's football or not, the boss can't strike an employee. And for a second, I couldn't believe it actually happened. Part of my vulgarity, I said, don't you ever fucking kick me again. And his response was, I'm the head football coach. I'll kick you whenever the fuck I want. So unsurprisingly with stories like that coming to light and him like I've mentioned already berating his coaching staff after less than a year under the uh on the organization Urban Meyer is gone out of Jacksonville Ethan what are your thoughts on the Urban Meyer debacle and just where do the Jags go from here my thoughts on the Urban Meyer debacle is really simple He's lucky that the people that he did this to are employees of the National Football um, League because being honest, or I'm not even going to say employees, he's lucky he did it to those specific individuals. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I'm going to be honest. If I were a player and I'm stretching and my coach comes up and he kicks me and then I say, hey, don't kick me, and he say, I'm the head coach. I can do what I want. I'm just going to have to take that edit. I'm going to have to get released because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a Latreya Spreeware. I'm going to choke my coach out. Like, I think the big thing to take from this is people, coaches have to understand, especially coaches that are coaches that have coached in college and are going to a professional ranks. Bro, this is not the – NCAA. This isn't college sports. In college, coaches rule the day. In college, coaches are the coaches are the name. 
coaches are the names that people want to see. Like, I'm a big Michigan State basketball fan. And the reason I'm a big Michigan State basketball fan is because I love Tom Izzo. Um, I'm a Michigan Tigers basketball fan, also associated to because I'm a big, I'm a Penny Hardaway fan. I, I don't necessarily think he's a great coach, but you know, it's Penny. I, I, yeah, it's Penny. But when it comes down to the NFL and even now the NBA, also more so the NBA, but now the NFL, like, bro. You're, as a coach, you're expendable. These organizations do not care about hiring and firing a head coach. And, like, the coach, the players will be there well before the coaches do. I mean, the players will stay there wherever longer than the coaches do. Like, Raymond Meyer, you got gifted a – it wasn't a perfect situation, but you got gifted a really good situation where you were – you are receiving a generational talent at quarterback – but yet, your actions off the field primarily cost you that job. Like, because I feel like even if they were losing and he was a, and he was doing everything else right off the field, I think they still give him another shot maybe a year or two after. Because it's like, hey, well, we can't really fire him when, you know, it's his first year coaching in the NFL. He, he really hasn't had the team constructed the way that he wants to construct it. So it was like, all right, we were throwing my ball. But honestly, from the moment you still put in the organization, you've been the epitome of a dummy from start to finish. And that's what I think cost them their job. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it perfectly on the head that in college, when you're a coach, it's pretty much your program. For example, when you go to Alabama, you're not going to play with Jamison Williams, a wide receiver. You're not going to play with Bryce Young. No, you want to go play for Nick Saban because Nick Saban has had crazy years of experience. With Clemson, you want to go play with Dabo Sweeney. And when he was at Florida and Ohio State, when you wanted to play for a winner, you want to Urban Meyer. However, in the NFL, the only time coaches get recognition – on a positive side is if you're winning a lot of games or a lot of championships a la Bill Belichick. Other than that, the only time coaches really get talked about is if they say something goofy during a press conference or they mess up. And I think that for Urban Meyer, it was definitely an adjustment for him to recognize that he's not big kahuna. You're not the big man on campus. Yes, you're the head coach. Yes, you do have that level of respect that is warranted for a head coach, but you're not what people are coming to see. People aren't lining up to talk to you. They want to talk to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, like you mentioned, he's supposed to be this generational talent. He's the main attraction, not you. And I think that for Urban Meyer, he could probably get away with treating college players like this because they're not making millions of dollars. They're trying their best to make an opportunity so they can make it to the NFL, so they can have professional careers. Whereas in the NFL, I'm already set. I'm already here. And so the BS that Urban Meyer was doing – it's not going to fly. But, yeah, no, you're, at, you're right. He definitely picked the right one because I can think of several players who, if he would have had that altercation with, it's not just going to end with Josh Lambeau or whatever being upset. Like, it's not just going to be like, man, that guy's insane. No, like, there are some players who I'm sure would have put some hands on him. And I would love to be a fly on the wall for any of that instance. But, yeah, no, I don't. I don't feel bad for Urban Meyer. He deserved it. And for the Jags, I like some of the younger building blocks that they have, and I hope that they can 
they can move on with it and make it work out in the future. But it was, I think it was pretty clear from the jump, Urban Meyer was not the right choice. But let's go ahead and move on to teams that are making the right choice with regards to the playoff teams. Looking at the AFC, first seed would be the Patriots, second Titans, third Chiefs, fourth Ravens, and wild card teams as of now. Uh, the fifth seed are the Los Angeles Chargers, sixth seed Colts, and then the uh, seventh seed the Buffalo Bills with the Browns, Bengals, and Broncos all sitting at seven and six, very close to taking that wild card spot. As of right now, the AFC um, number one seed, picture is really all in the air so Ethan if you had to bet what team do you think is going to end the season with the top seed the Patriots the Titans or Chiefs in my opinion I'm going to say Chiefs I'm going to say the Northern Patriots um and I think my reason behind it is because yes the Chiefs are starting to hit their stride but I think the Patriots they've established this formula that they're that they use to win games. They play solid. Honestly, not even solid. They play really good defense. They have a strong run game. And Mac Jones, he kind of game manages, but he also makes the the key splash play when he's needed. And I think that when you're dealing with Bill Belichick as a head coach, like I'm, I'm, and you give him competent pieces, I'm not going against Bill Belichick. I can respect that. I just think that I'll say this. In looking at both of their schedules to close out the year, I have more faith in the Chiefs possibly going undefeated or maybe losing one game as opposed to the Patriots. Like, the Steel, I mean, the Chiefs close out. They got Chargers tonight. We'll get to it, but I think they win that game. Then they got Steelers, Bengals, Broncos. I think, honestly, I could see them winning out with regards to the Patriots. They have Colts, Bills, Jags, Dolphins, all very winnable games. But with how hot the Chiefs are right now, I think that they're going to find a way to pull it out and get that top seed. All right, let's go ahead and look at that NFC picture. Right now, um, with the Cardinals' loss on Monday, the Green Bay Packers have overtaken the number one seed with a 10-3 record. Number two seed, uh, Arizona Cardinals. Third seed, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Fourth seed, Dallas Cowboys. Um, in the wild card, fifth seed, Los Angeles Rams. Sixth seed, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, seventh seed, Washington football team. With the Minnesota Vikings, Philadelphia Eagles, Atlanta Falcons, and New Orleans Saints all right behind with the six and seven seed. So I know we kind of talked about last week which team we think is going to get replaced by one of these non-playoff teams. But if you had your way, which NFC South team would you rather see take that wild card spot, the Falcons or the Saints? Um, the Saints. And I think my reason behind it is, in my opinion, that the federal because of the injury to James Winston and, you know, having Taysom Hill and things of that nature. But um, they also have one of the better defenses in the NFL. They have star power that people would like to see. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing Alvin Kamara in the wild card game or, you know, making a, a semi-run to the, in the playoffs because he's a really exciting player. When it comes down to the Falcons, it's like they have Matt Ryan Kyle Pitts and Grady Jerry and Calvin Ridley. Like, I don't necessarily see it because I feel like, for me, 
I can see the Saints getting potentially getting a upset win more than I can see the Falcons because the Saints does have a dominant defense. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, at the very least, I think the Saints will make it a lot more competitive, especially because we have seen them kind of pull out those upset victories, um, a la against the Bucks, which nobody expected them to actually beat the Bucks, but they did. Whereas the Falcons, they beat the teams that they should beat, but when they go up against much better competition, it's as you would expect. So I agree. I would say the Saints as well, just because I think it would be a better game. Do I think either of them make it out? No, but, I mean, as of right now, it's still a few more weeks left in the season, so really anything could happen. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to some coaches. Two of the top coaches in the league right now, Cliff Kingsbury and um, Bill Belichick, has some positive words to say about each other. Earlier um, in the week, Cliff Kingsbury was asked about his thoughts on potentially winning Coach of the Year, to which he replied, until Bill Belichick retires, I don't think anyone else should get that reward. Um, in response, Bill Belichick said, that's very nice of Cliff to toss that bouquet. I'll toss it right back. Cliff has done a great job and should be the Coach of the Year. So between Cliff Kingsbury and Bill Belichick, who would get your vote for Coach of the Year? Bill Belichick, I think going in, like I think a lot of people had expectations for the Patriots to make the playoffs. But I don't think a lot of people had expectations for them to be a top, considered to be a top seed in the entire AFC. As far as the Cardinals, I think some people were like, I, it's, it's a very similar picture, but I think going into it, the pieces that the Cardinals had amassed over the course of this offseason, like bringing in J.J. White, bringing in James Conner, and just seeing the progression of Kyler Murray still having DeAndre Hopkins, Jackson, Rondell Moore, like, I kind of, going into this season, I saw them on more of an uptick. I thought the only reason that they weren't going to be where they are now is because their division, in my opinion, was honestly the hardest division in football. But you have, you know, you run into a a lackluster Seattle team that's been that, that was decimated by a Russell Wilson injury. And then you run into the typical 49ers who it seemed like for these past couple of years they're always ravaged by injuries by this point of the season. Like, when you throw that into account, then it kind of does make sense for them to be able to have a, a really good chance to solidify a top playoff spot. But I still got to go be a Belichick. Yeah, I'll go Bill Belichick as well just because, especially if we're comparing rosters, I mean, you get more excitement looking at the roster that Arizona has as opposed to the Patriots, especially offensively. However, even though it has not been in the most conventional ways, we've seen that Bill Belichick and the Patriots have been able to have a lot of success. And I think that just goes to the greatness that is Bill Belichick just because he's a damn good coach. And while Cliff Kingsbury is having a very good season, you know, as well, I mean, we got to take into account that they still won a game when he wasn't even coaching, when he had COVID. Um, I think that was the Browns game that he they won when he was out. But even still, I think that with just Bill Belichick, especially because last year everybody was getting on his head about, oh, it's all Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the better one. He didn't need Bill, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we're seeing that Bill also did not need him to have Tom Brady to have success. So I would go a Bill Belichick. All right, one more piece before we move on to the game of believable or buffoonery. Talking about Aaron Rodgers, who may be leading the pack in terms of 
um, MVP votes. But that does not seem to mean that he is going to be staying a Packer long term. While a guest on the Pat McAfee show, I mean, team is 10-3, and three, number one seed. Things should be happy, right? Pat McAfee asks Rodgers, so you love being a Green Bay Packer right now, yeah? To which Aaron Rodgers replied, I love playing ball, man. Then a report um, came out just a couple days later from uh, Diana Rossini of ESPN saying, the sense that I get from talking to different people around the league is that there is going to be more drama to follow and that Aaron Rodgers is most likely going to leave the Green Bay Packers organization. I think a Super Bowl is going to matter. So if you are the Green Bay Packers, what are you trying to do to keep Aaron Rodgers happy? Or do you let him go? I think, honestly, the only thing that could potentially keep make him happy is winning another Super Bowl. I think they missed out on a big opportunity to do something to make him happy, which is signing Odell Beckham. Like, since he's been on the Rams, he's shown that he's still a productive player. Just imagine if you were to line him up alongside Devontae Adams and you get from Aaron Rodgers the quarterback. Like, Aaron Rodgers is in conversation for being the MVP of the of the NFL this season. And Odell Beckham, now that he's on the team with a MVP caliber like quarterback, even though he hasn't played up to that standard for these past couple of games, but you Matthew Stafford, you've seen his numbers grow. So I think that honestly, they might as well, if they don't win the Super Bowl, they might as well just cut their losses and just realize like he's not going to stay. I feel that. I think that you can only try for so much because especially when you are a player, the pedigree of Aaron Rodgers, it just comes down to you've done everything else. You've won MVPs. You've been named the top quarterbacks. You've broken all these records. You won another Super Bowl. I mean, you got your Super Bowl, what, 11 years ago? Of course you want to taste another one. And I think that while the Packers look great in the regular season, they are a regular season team. How many times last year were we saying, man, the Packers look like they could go all the way. The season goes on and they don't do it in the playoffs. Of course, it's not all Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, it definitely raises questions of is it worth staying and riding the wave of it. So, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you with regards to if I'm the Packers, that's really all you can do. If they win a Super Bowl, I think he will stay. I don't know how much longer he'll actually play. I don't think he's going to be a, a Tom Brady and just play till he's all 45. I don't think that's the case. But I could definitely see Aaron Rodgers staying for a couple more years and trying to win another Super Bowl. And then if not, I could see him just cutting his losses, recognizing things aren't great, especially if they do end up not re-signing um, um, uh, Devontae Adams. Then that's losing yet another weapon and not getting much in return. So, yeah, I think I'm agreeing with you. I think it's Super Bowl or bust for the Green Bay Packers. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on, play a game of believable or buffoonery. Let's talk about Chase Claypool. You mentioned him a bit earlier, and while he is talented, he does have some maturity issues. In fact, I mean, some of those issues took place in the Vikings game where we saw he nearly fumbled, missed blocks, had that – um bad play that you mentioned that you feel like cost it in the game. Of course, um, Mike Tomlin was asked about those things where, for a time, he did bench Claypool. Um, and then when asked about the benching and asked if he think he got the message, uh, Tomlin replied that we'll see. 
ESPN's Ryan Clark was not so forgiving of Claypool and said, Chase Claypool is as mentally and emotionally underdeveloped as he is physically overdeveloped. He only cares about himself, and that self-centeredness is part of what's bringing the Steelers team and organization down. It's, there's no denying that he is talented, finished the game with nine catches, 93 yards, which led the team. But, believable or buffoonery, the Steelers should bench Chase Claypool. I'm not going to say they – I don't think they should bench him simply because he is such a dynamic talent. Like, he has – he made some incredible catches in that Viking game. What I do, I do think that they need to figure out a tactic to, like, show him the Steelers' way. Like, I remember, um, I think a couple episodes ago – we were talking about Brian, um, where Mike, um, Mike Tomlin was saying that a lot of these young cats, they don't understand the Steelers' way because they don't have, you know, the Troy Pazumalus or the James Harrisons or whoever walking in their locker room and showing the Steelers' way. And, like, that Vikings game was a very case point episode of that, like, if that were, let's say that was a game-winning drive, and that, were Hines, that was Hines Wood that caught the ball instead of Chase Claypool. Hines Wood would have gave the ball to the ref, lined up because he knows that, hey, we're, we're playing no huddle. We have to move as fast as we can. We don't have a timeout. And these seconds running on the clock. Whereas Chase Claypool, he took like a whole five to six seconds to celebrate the first down and hold the ball and that could have been an opportunity. That could have been an extra two seconds left to potentially run another play after um after that drop in the end zone. So I def I it's hard because you can't say bench him because he's a dynamic talent, but they have to figure out a way to get through to him. Like, hey, you can't be doing those type of things. Yeah, I agree with you. I wouldn't go as far as to bench him because I think that's just hurting your offense, especially at this point of the season where every game matters and they're still technically in the hunt to be a playoff team. You don't want to take him out and then hamper yourself, especially when you got a tough game against the Titans coming up this weekend. But on the other hand, I definitely do think that there has to be some sort of maturing that has to take place because right now, I mean, the OGs of the era are gone. All that's left is... Um, Big Ben and not to say there aren't other very good players on that roster but they just don't have re- command the same respect that guys like you mentioned like James Harrison and Troy Polamalu Heinz Ward guys like that had just because it was they came from a different era of Steeler and so it's hard because you want you wish you had somebody like kind of take him under their wing and kind of like show him the way but on the other hand it's like you don't really have that. So, yeah, I agree. I don't think that he should be benched, but I think they have to do something to get back on the right accord. All right, moving on to a player who has been showing out um, mid to late start of the season. We're talking about a Memphis Tiger, Antonio Gibson, a.k.a. for most of you guys, running back for the uh, Washington football team, who has been done a very nice job this season, already has over 1,000 yards for scrimmage, um, seven touchdowns. Apparently he wants to do more. Gibson wants to be used as an offensive playmaker like Debo Samuel or Cordell Patterson um, via Doug Kyed 
of plan, uh, pro football focus. Believable or buffoonery, Antonio Gibson should have a Debo Samuel-like role in Washington. I'll say believable because we saw, or at least I've seen him do it when he was in Memphis. Because, I mean, for most of his college career, he was a wide receiver. He didn't become a running back to the last few games of the season. So we know that he has those abilities and he has good hands. I just think it's only a matter of time before they really bite, bite on that and allow him to do it. Yeah, I'm in his career in college and he's a guy that you can put in multiple positions on the field and he could be successful so I think that should give it a shot all right moving on to a player who as we know has just been balling Micah Parsons um in an interview with Sports Illustrated Al Albert Breer has some interesting comments saying I don't really think the NFL is that hard and I mean by looking at his numbers one would assume so. He already has 12 sacks, 75 tackles, 17 tackles for loss, and 27 quarterback hits. I mean, I don't think there has ever been more of a landslide defensive rookie of the year than um, than Michael Parsons right now. But we've seen it time and time again when rookies and just players in general underestimate the NFL. Believable or buffoonery, did Michael Parsons jinx himself? saying that he's giving people more added motivation to make sure that they neutralize him and he's giving coaches more added motivation to make sure that they game plan for him on the defensive side of the ball because like they do have playmakers in Dallas but I feel like at the current moment um, Michael Parsons is the key playmaker for that defense and for you to say like it's easy like it's going to be guys that's going to take offense to that so I think he I don't think it might show his rookie year, but maybe his second year, that's when you're going to see a significant bit of his production. I mean, kind of similar to Chase Young. Last year, he was a dominant force, and he looked like he was going to be a generational talent as a pass rusher. And I know he kind of has battled injuries this season, but it's like he hasn't looked nearly like the same player that he was last year. Yeah, and then I think that, like you mentioned, I don't think it's going to be an immediate thing during his rookie year, but we've really grown to see that when Micah Parsons is on, everything else for that uh, Cowboys defense is clicking because nobody else on that team is getting nearly as much of a pass rush as Parsons is. He's getting home. Typically, if you're hearing a big defensive play, especially that's not an interception, more times than not, it's coming from Micah Parsons. And as offenses are getting more tape, they're going to have a better idea of how to block you, how to defend you and keep you away, which is going to cut down on your stats, which is going to cut down on the notoriety you're going to get. So, yeah, I do think that he's going to jinx himself, not – directly because his play is going to suffer, but because offenses have now have 13 games of film to look at and have a better way of um, attacking you. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Last question. This is somebody who has been attacking NFL defenses all year. Cooper Cup, who uh, running back Melvin Gordon has been a big fan of this year and said, can't lie, I want to see Cup hit that 2K receiving yard mark as of right now he's not crazy far off as he has 113 catches for 1489 yards and the rams have four more games um hold on one second pull up the Rams schedule 
I know this week they are facing off against the uh, Seattle Seahawks. The week after that, they play the Minnesota Vikings. After that, they're going to be facing off against the Baltimore Ravens, and then they close out the year against the San Francisco 49ers. Truthfully, considering none of the four teams I mentioned have that strong of a secondary, especially Baltimore because we just keep losing everybody, I think he can easily get 500 yards in the next four games. I think he's going to hit 2,000. I would not be surprised if he didn't. I mean, like you said, all the teams that he had left on the schedule, their secondaries aren't that great. And I hate to say it, but those last two games, the 49ers and the Ravens, he could go potentially go for 200 yards for both of those. Yeah. Like you said, like y'all secondary is injured and the 49ers secondary is injured, but that even when healthy, their secondary wasn't that great to begin with. So I could put some stock into it. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind seeing it either. Cooper Cup has been one of the most fun wide receivers to watch this year. So if anybody was going to do it, I would not be mad that it was him. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for NFL Week 15, starting off with tonight's game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. This has potential to be a banger, but I got Chiefs. I got Chiefs. Las Vegas Raiders versus the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys know about all the Browns players on the COVID list, but here are just a few to uh, make note of. Baker Mayfield, Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, Tack McKinley, Wyatt Teller, Jedrick Willis, Troy Hill, John Johnson, Drew Forbes. Also, head coach Kevin Stefanski is also on the COVID list. Honestly, this would have been a tough game just because I feel both teams are evenly matched anyway, but I got Raiders. New England Patriots versus the Indianapolis Colts. I think this is going to be a fun one, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Patriots, but it's gonna be really close. Buffalo Bills versus the Carolina Panthers. For the Bills' sake, I'm gonna say Bills. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. Darren Bevel is taking over as interim head coach. I think that the Bills, I mean not Bills, the Jags get their second win. What third one? Jags. A new Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Tennessee Titans. This one is tough. I'm going to go Steelers just because I feel like their defense is going to feel like it has a point to prove. Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, Arizona Cardinals versus the Detroit Lions. I got Cardinals. Yeah, I got Cardinals. Miami Dolphins versus the New York Jets. I got Dolphins. Dolphins. Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants. I got Cowboys. Cowboys. Washington football team versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't care who the Eagles quarterback is. I'm going Washington. But if it's Gardner Minshew, I think it's going to be a much closer game. Cincinnati Bengals versus the Denver Broncos. This could be a good one, but I'm going Bengals. Bengals. San Francisco 49ers versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got 49ers. Niners. Seattle Seahawks versus the Los Angeles Rams. As much as I want to say Seahawks to get, you know, keep my brother-in-law in title in uh, playoff contention. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, we're even more screwed. Um, I'm going uh I'm going Rams. I'm going Rams. Green Bay Packers versus my Baltimore Ravens, who it was just announced that starting safety Chuck Clark is on the COVID list. So he's probably not going to play. It don't matter. I was going to have the Packers win anyway. Yeah, I got Pack, and I'm sorry. 
You know what? It's fine. You know what? If everybody else in my division loses, I'm cool. You know, at this point, we weren't. It's fine. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Temp, uh, New Orleans Saints Sunday Night Football. I got Bucks getting revenge, beating the uh, beating the Saints. I have Bucks. All right, Monday Night Football: the Minnesota Vikings versus the Chicago Bears. I'm going Vikings. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the offensive, defensive, and rookie players that we are watching. Starting offensively, I'm going to say Bills quarterback Josh Allen. These last few weeks have been rough for the Buffalo Bills for one reason or another. Biggest being that wins have been hard to come by. As Josh Allen, somebody who was expected to be in the MVP conversation, has had some great performances. I think that without him stepping up and helping to lead this team, the Bills are going nowhere fast. Um, for me, I have coach quarterback Carson Wentz. We all know when you're playing a Bill Belichick coach team, they typically he typically takes away your strength. And we all know that the coach strength is running the ball with Jonathan Taylor. So if that does take place, how is Carson Wentz going to respond and like try to carry his team to a victory? Defensively, I'm watching Justin Simmons. There is no secret that the Bengals have a bevy of really good wide receivers, and they are going to sling it across the yard. Even more so, the Broncos' corners have been a bit inconsistent. So Justin Simmons on that back end is going to have a tough task of keeping things in front of him, especially because the Bengals have really shown that they will throw the deep ball quite a bit, and it has worked. Uh, for me, defensively, I'm going to say Joey Bosa. You know, they're going up against the Chiefs tonight. I think the, one of the key points to, for them to win this game is they're going to have to hit Patrick Mahomes and get in the backfield to disrupt, disrupt plays. So, he got to have a big game for order for them to win. Yeah, I feel you on that. Uh, my rookie I'm watching is Mac Jones. Like you mentioned, I mean, Bill Belichick's strength is taking away other team's strength. But the problem is Jonathan Taylor and the Colts – or at least I'll say this for the Colts. They are going to get the ball to Jonathan Taylor in some form or fashion. And with that ability, that is going to make any defense tired. And it'll be interesting to see what offensive approach the uh, Patriots use, if whether they want to keep running the ball like they have been doing the last few games or put the ball in Mac Jones' hands, which they've shown has worked too. I'm very interested, but I think that Mac Jones has to play a big role in order to get this victory. I'm actually in agreement with you because I think if – because the coach defense isn't a slouch neither. Like, it's not the greatest, but it isn't that bad. And we haven't really had, like, a big Mac Jones game where he's the sole reason that they win. And I could potentially see this being one of those scenarios where they slow down the run game because they saw that it was such an emphasis in this last game against Buffalo, and they prepared for it more than normal. And then the game is going to be relied upon back to make plays. And, you know, he's done it so far, but is he going to be able to continue that trend? Most of. All right, and then the team I'm calling out, obviously, my Baltimore Ravens. Yes, it's a tough task to have to go up against the Packers, especially because the Packers are hot right now, especially because Aaron Rodgers is looking like the MVP. And most importantly, our secondary looks depleted. But... All I'm asking is, can we just make it a special teams battle? Can it just come down to a kicking battle? Because I will take Justin Tucker every day of the week over anybody, especially Mason Crosby this year. So, Baltimore, please, for playoff implications, just thug it out. 
Come on, we got this. We're gonna be we're gonna be fine. Question mark. Who are you calling out? Team I'm calling out is definitely the Titans. I think that yes, I feel like we're gonna win our division, but now we're just fighting to hold on to a decent position in the playoffs. Um I know that it's talks about if you make once you make it to the playoffs, you might get some dead hero return chatter. But I feel like the best way to go about it is to get a higher seed to potentially or even try to go for the number one seed again to potentially get a bye week so you can also rest and recover from the season but give more time for our King, King Henry to return. I feel that. And, I mean, technically, if y'all keep winning or things say the same, I mean, everybody, all the top three teams are nine and four. So it is still within reach to get that top seed. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Top three takeaways are Border Lakers, lucky they have Matt Reeves. Um, I think that the – I think they will live this time in Portland. should definitely be up. And all the is better without John Morant. I'm saying they're judging me, but are they? Well, no. I mean, like, y'all going to try to find out. Um, but, yeah, I feel you on that. All right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. Out of the Eastern Conference, I got to go Kevin Durant. I mean, he's really just been balling out just last night. Dropped uh, – not last night, I'm sorry. Two nights ago, dropped a triple-double against the Raptors. Then 51 on the Pistons, breaking the record for that arena for the highest points in the game. And then just balled out and was a total menace against – uh, the Atlanta Hawks, where shout out to Trey Young because he's a better person than me because I would have probably smacked Kevin Durant upside the head with how much he was on him. It would have just bothered me. But Kevin Durant has been balling this week, so shout out to him. Oh, yeah, I'm going to agree with KD. They made, like, in my opinion, it's between him and Steph for MVP this year so far. Yeah, I'd, I would agree with that. I think it's those two and then, like, whoever else. It's, like, a couple – levels below uh speaking of Steph of course he's our western mamba of the week like I mentioned at the top of the show broke the record for most three-pointers made in an NBA career I mean Steph has been a bad man all season it really was just a matter of time when he was going to get the record not if and he did so in impressive fashion I mean what better place to break the record than in the garden Yeah, and maybe Steph was is going to do what Kobe did and blame uh blame uh oh my gosh Spike Lee for his performance because he could do it. And then my rookie of the week is going to go to Scotty Barnes. I mean, pretty much more times than not, my rookie of the week is between him or Evan Mobley. But this time I'm gonna give it out to Scotty. He had a great game against the Nets. Yes, they lost, but I mean he dropped had um a career high 23 points, 12 boards. Um, had dropped a double-double against the Knicks a couple nights ago, 12 and 15. Really just continuing to grow into his own and being a really nice broad spot for this Raptor team that still kind of figure out its identity. Yeah, I'm in agreement with Scotty Barnes as well. Um, that game against the Knicks, he showed that he, he showed a better three-ball. I think the biggest knock on his game so far in his early career has been He's not a consistent shooter, 
But in that game, if I'm not mistaken, he hit like three or four threes, and he was like, he either missed one or two threes for the whole game, and he's just, he's, like you said, he's the only bright spot, really, in my opinion, for that team. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to some league news. And we're going to start off on a positive note. Isaiah Thomas, after dominating the Drew League, after having a great uh, debut in the G League where he dropped 42 points, eight rebounds, six boards on 53% shooting, he's finally signed with an NBA team. That is right. Earlier today it was announced he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. So congratulations to him. And what are you expecting out of IT now that he's back in the NBA? Um, I really don't know. Like, I do think that he's still like, a good player, but I don't. I'm, I guess the best way to put it is I don't expect for him to be the um, friends MVP caliber Isaiah Thomas that he once was with the Boston Celtics. But I can see him potentially being a guy, you know, maybe come off the bench, give you like 12 points, 12, 14, 15 range, and fill a role. I mean, considering what the Lakers have had this year, I think they would take that every day of the week. I mean, bench play has been so, so, I mean, of course, undrafted uh, rookie, he had won them the game last night against the Mavs. But I think the better they can get on the bench, the better it's going to help out the starters. And I think that – I hope it works out. I mean, IT is one of those guys who we've seen those flashes of greatness and then just with him as a person all he's been through throughout his career. He's somebody I think I'm always going to be rooting for regardless of what team he plays for. So I do hope that it works out. But speaking of not working out, Zion Williamson, I'm sure everybody listening has seen the picture of him leaving the arena in the jumpsuit, and he looked – he looked kind of big. And there are some reports that not only is he looking bigger than one would expect, but a Pelicans beat reporter said that Zion is also skipping rehab workouts and falling asleep during film sessions. Then to make matters worse, it was announced this week that Zion Williamson will be out for an additional four to six weeks after getting an injection in his foot to speed up the healing. But instead, it led to an infection. Needless to say, things are looking rough for Williamson and the Pelicans. I mean, I re actually ran across a stat that in the first three games of his career, he's only paid in 85 of those games, beating out Greg Oden by just three games. Let's talk about it. If you are the New Orleans Pelicans, is it really worth the headache of trying to deal with Zion, or do you think that – after all the craziness in the next month, month and a half, or whenever he can finally take play, get on the court, it'll make all this headache worth it. I think it is simply because when you think about it, he, first and foremost, he's the number one overall pick. So essentially when you draft him, you put the future of your franchise in his hands. Secondly, when he's actually on the court and he's healthy and he's in shape, that man is a freak of nature. I've never seen somebody, maybe honestly since, the only two people I've seen dominate a game the way Zion has has been Shaquille O'Neal and Giannis. And the difference is Sha Shaq was 7'1", 320, between 315 and 320 pounds. Zion, I mean, not Zion, but Giannis is 6'11", 250. And Zion really is more like 6'5", than he is 6'6". 
and the way that he's able to dominate and bully people. So I think that if he's able to get healthy this season and get, manage his weight and get his weight down, he steps on the court, and he's back looking like the player that he previously was, I think it'll be worth it. If anything, it'll sell tickets because they're not winning nothing. It's, it's hard because it's like, on the one hand, on the one hand, it's like, come on. Like, it's like, one, you're dealing with the weight stuff. Two, it doesn't seem like he's that engaged with the program. Three, now you got to still wait an extra month or so to be able to see him play. And, yes, you know you're an organization that's not exactly going to win anything, but it's just like it just seems like what's the point? Because if we're being honest, Zion is not going to be with the Pelicans three years from now. Hell, he might not even be here two years from now if he has his way. And I think that if he had his way, he would be gone from New Orleans. And I get that because nobody wants to stay on a bad team for the, a duration, a long duration, especially if you do have that talent. Because like you mentioned, when Zion plays, he is a dominating presence. He is very good. But the question is getting him healthy, getting his body right, getting his mind right to be ready to play. And so if I'm New Orleans – it's weird because they're already in a rebuild stage, so it's not like trading Zion would put them in a rebuild. But it's just like, I don't know. If I was them, I'd be more amped to listen to offers than I was before, especially because, like I mentioned, long-term, Zion is not going to be there. He's only here for now, and if he gets an opportunity to leave, he's probably going to go. So, of course, this season, I'm not saying I would trade him, but – if things don't seem to get better or if this all seems to be a consistent problem, I would not be surprised if the Pelicans would be the more aggressive in trying to move him as opposed to Zion publicly stating he wants to be moved. But we'll see. But speaking of moving and shaking taking place, the NBA trade deadline is just a couple of months away. And around this time of the season is when we start hearing more about trade rumors, trades that could take place. All that good stuff. So, like I mentioned, still got a couple months before actual trades take place. But, Ethan, if you had your way, you don't have to, like, go into detail about where they would go. But if you could see three NBA stars traded, who would they be? Damian Lillard, Bradley Bill, and uh, Russell Westbrook. I could see that. I'm going to go. I got two of the same people. I got Dame. I got Bradley Beal. But I'm going to also throw in De'Aaron Fox. Just because I like De'Aaron Fox. And, I mean, the Kings aren't going anywhere. They're not doing anything. And, I mean, he mentioned sometime this week. I don't remember if it was a press conference or what. But he was like, I had never been a loser until I came to Sacramento. And that takes a toll on your mental, especially because you're used to winning everything. You come to a historically bad franchise. So I don't know where I'd like for him to go, but I wouldn't mind seeing him being on the way out. But since we both mentioned Damian Lillard, as we all know, Damian Lillard is definitely a player expected to be traded. Um, Jay Williams on Get Up, which on ESPN said, I actually think for Portland, it would be in their best long-term interest to let Damian Lillard go. How about a swap there, Dame for Kyrie? Do you think that trade would work 
for the Trailblazers? I'm going to say a hard no. Nah. I don't think so, neither. I think that, um, for one, you trade down for Kyrie. Who's to say Kyrie's going to play first? Secondly, like, they have a culture that's already established. Well, they did. I'm sorry. I forgot they had Chauncey Billups. Mm-hmm. So, it's a weird situation to where they're, all, they're trying to rebuild and reimagine a culture and emphasize with Chauncey Billups as the head coach. And we all know the uh, the media service that he is career. And so, I don't think that it would just be a perfect fit. Yeah, because I don't think that – I don't necessarily think that the Trailblazers are exactly a team that Kyrie would really buy into because, essentially, it's just another Cavs situation. Like, your roster is going to be struggling because I feel like if you move Dame, more more pieces are going to fall. I feel like CJ could also end up being traded, possibly a use of nurture. Like, I feel like – Losing Dame is really going to thrust this team into a rebuild. And I can't see a player like um, – I can't necessarily see a player like uh, Kyrie Irving wanting to go through that. And I get it. I understand it. I don't think that star players, especially once you've had so much success or tasted that success, you want to just go back to having to start all the way over. So it really would not surprise me if it didn't work out. I mean, for the Nets – I mean, I'd be cool. I honestly think a Damian Lillard and KD-led team could win you a championship. And that's not even factoring in James Harden, who's been kind of up and down this year. But for Portland, nah, it would be a hard no for me. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to believable or buffoonery, starting off with my main man, Russell Westbrook. Love me some Russ. But he said something pretty interesting for someone donning a Lakers jersey. Um, he meant when asked in a press conference about the pressures of this season, he replied, if we win a championship, cool. If we don't, I'm okay with that too. Life goes on. For most teams or most players, that's fine. It's not a big deal. But when you wear the Lakers jersey, you're expected to win a championship year in and year out. So believable or buffoonery. Russell Westbrook is really not stressed about winning a title. Man, honest, I'm starting to think he's really not. I think Russell, he's one of those guys that he marches to the beat of his own drum. And that the, like, normalities that people like to place on people know when they apply to him. Like, I genuinely think Russell views himself as one of the greatest players of all time without a championship and honestly and truly he has a right to believe that because his production on the court even though yes you could be like he's stat chasing and stat paying and things of that nature but some of the things that he's done on the court no one in the history of the game has ever done yeah no wrong I do agree that he's not as fixated on the championship but I think I think that the main reason why I brought up the franchise, the problem with that is we know LeBron is only playing this game to get another ring. He's not just playing to whatever. He wants to get five or he wants to get six, whichever is more attainable. He wants to win more rings. And, I mean, we've already heard or um, that apparently the Lakers have already internally talked about possibly trading Russell Westbrook. And I could see that could be something that turns into a catalyst of him being traded, especially because – the question could be he may not have that championship mindset that the Lakers would want in a player, which I could totally understand if they did go that route. 
But yeah, I'm saying believable too. I don't think Russ is really tripping off of it. He's been in the league, what, 12 years, 13 years, and hasn't won a ring. And like you mentioned, he's had a tremendous career without it. So I think he's not going to lose sleep if he does not get one. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to James Harden. Mentioned him earlier. We're used to seeing James Harden put up a lot of points, but since the new foul rules have been put into place, it has not been the same James Harden that we have seen in recent years. So much so that he has been he has caught some flack from NFL analysts. Nick Wright said, this is the worst he's looked, and it's not even close. Harden's playing lazy right now. He's supposed to be one of the six best players. He's not one of the best 36 right now. Adding to that was uh, Chris Broussard, who said, I'm stunned and disappointed at Harden his decline nets have no chance of winning a title if this is who he is right now so believable or buffoonery <clears throat> title i won't put the title thing on but i will say believable or buffoonery james harden has fallen out of the top 10 nba players in the league i would say believable I think you really hit it on the head. I mean, it's definitely been a lot of factors that have kind of went into his decline. Yeah, I 100% agree with you with regards to that. All right, go ahead, move on to our next question. Um, Charles Barkley, we talked about it last week about if the Utah Jazz were being disrespected by the media. Well, it seems the media is starting to show the Jazz some love, particularly from Charles Barkley, who said the Utah Jazz are going to win the Western Conference. As of right now, they've won nine of their last ten games. They're third in the Western Conference with a 20-7 and seven record. They have been looking good, but believable or buffoonery, they're going to win the Western Conference. I can't say I'm ready to go that far, but like I said, they're looking good. Yeah, I'm not going to put my eggs in that basket at the time. So I think, I'm trying to think, who is the top seed? The Warriors? Yeah, I'm, I don't see what pass the Warriors like. Simply because the Warriors are playing really good basketball and they're in the process of getting pieces that's added to their team in James Wiseman and Clay Thompson. Yeah. So I can't think of it. 
Yep, I'm also saying buffoonery. I like I like it though. It sounds nice, but nah, not drinking that Kool-Aid. All right, moving on. So speaking of the Lakers, Anthony Davis is not having a typical Anthony Davis like season, and it has gotten people to talking. As we all know, the uh, NBA 75 list was released just a couple of months ago with Anthony Davis on it, which Sports Illustrated Robin Lunderberg Lundberg said, "Can they take Anthony Davis out of the NBA top 75?" I don't know if it needs to go that far, but believable or buffoonery, this season is proving that AD is not a top 75 NBA player. Oh, yeah. I think I think a lot of people bought a lot of the stock into their one championship that they won in the bubble. And yes, Anthony Davis kind of like the focal point of their championship run. But throughout the course of his career, Anthony Davis has really just been a guy that's put up good numbers on bad teams. And, like, even this year, he's he's putting up really good numbers. And, honestly, he's only, like, two points away from what he's typically average. Like, you used to see Anthony Davis average 24, I mean, 27, 12, and, like, two blocks. He's averaging 24.5. So he's not that far off from his actual averages. But it, I think a lot of people are throwing shade at the fact that the Lakers aren't looking the way that everyone expected them to look because everyone put this pressure on him to be the best player on their team. And it's like he might actually be playing good basketball. It's just not resulting to wins because everything else around him isn't necessarily going yeah and I think that you the comments you made with regards to like prior to that championship what has he done really not much I mean we've seen plenty of great players put up great numbers on bad teams if that was the criteria then why didn't players like Vince Carter make it Tracy McGrady make it other cat or Kyrie Irvin why didn't he make it and I mean especially considering he's on a team with a player like Dwight Howard who looking at the resume he should have been on that list. And so I think that just with when you combine everything, it definitely questions the overall legacy of Anthony Davis and if it is as strong as we like to think. All right, last piece before we make our game picks. Steph Curry, like we mentioned earlier this week, officially broke the all-time three-point shooting record. And afterwards, he finally gave himself some flowers, said, I never want to call myself the greatest shooter until I got this record. I'm comfortable saying it now. Believable or buffoonery, Steph Curry is the greatest shooter the NBA has ever seen. Yep. Yeah. I mean... Uh yeah, I mean, the numbers prove it. I mean, women lie, men lie, but numbers don't lie. I agree with you. I mean, he's he did it. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's go ahead and make game picks before we close out this bad boy. Starting things off with um, the Detroit Pistons versus the Indiana Pacers, a team in major flux, but I'm still picking them over the Pistons. Yeah, I'm picking Philadelphia 76ers versus the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to go Nets. Nets. New York Knicks versus the Houston Rockets. I got Knicks. Knicks. All right, last one since the Bulls and Raptors got postponed. Washington Wizards versus the Phoenix Suns. I got Suns. Suns. 
All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please share check out the xreport.net, our peethexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you'd like to add before we close out this bad boy? Um, go Grizz, go Titans. Um, I'm ready for John to get back and hopefully I get this opportunity to see LeBron. Hopefully you can go to the game because I miss NBA games. There was so much fun. I'm, I'm trying to catch an OSU game at some point. But, you know, go Ravens. Go Tigers. We got our uh, Texas Bowl. We play Kansas State. We should definitely win that game. Um, yeah, just try to stay healthy, Baltimore. That's really all I can ask. And uh, Lakers, if y'all trade my boy Russ, just trade him somewhere cool. Trade him before I order my jersey. How about that? But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.